Well, it's great to be speaking tonight on the subject of the Good Samaritan, which is one of my favorite parables of Jesus. We're continuing our story on parables. And um, Jesus was a, a fantastic teacher, wasn't he? We know that because crowds came to hear him speak. And one of the comments that people made was that he spoke as someone who had authority. Someone else put it like this. He said the kinds of words that we would expect God to say. Jesus was God-made man, wasn't he? And through Jesus, we were hearing the heart of God. So Jesus was a brilliant teacher, and one of the methods that he used for teaching frequently, as we're discovering in this summer series, is storytelling or parables. And he created stories that would teach people not just in their minds, but also in their hearts. I believe Jesus wants to teach our hearts tonight through this parable. And it may be very, very familiar to many of us. But seeing as we're not the finished article yet, seeing as God still wants to put more compassion in our hearts for others, we all have something to learn. And isn't scripture like that? You can come back to the same passages again and again, and God teaches you something new. And I'm praying that that will happen for all of us this evening. I'm naturally fascinated by people. I don't mind being held up on London transport. You may think I'm a bit weird, but it's because I'm a people watcher. So I find all kinds of amusement just watching people. <laughs> Most of us are pretty fascinated by people. And in the parables that Jesus told, every character is teaching us something about people, about human character. And if we are willing to be open to God, then every character is teaching us something about ourselves as well. So let's watch out for the characters as we read this famous parable together. And I'm reading from Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25, which gives us in the beginning of this reading, it gives us the context in which the parable was spoken. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replies with the parable of the Good Samaritan. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. 
which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So who are the characters? Let's have a look at the characters in this story and see what we can learn from them. Firstly, there was a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. That was a journey of 20 miles. And there were many twists and turns in the road. It was a mountainous road with huge rocks. And in isolated regions, it was notorious for bands of robbers who used to hide in groups behind the rocks and then ambush people. This man was unfortunate to be traveling along an isolated part of the road on his own, and his worst fears were realized. He was attacked, brutally beaten, and was left unconscious and naked at the side of the road. Even his clothes were stolen. Everything that he owned was taken from him. Next along comes the priest, one of the most respected and prestigious members of the Jewish community. Jericho was a city of priests, and also many Levites lived there. A priest was responsible for the worship in the temple, for the sacrifices, and for upholding God's law, the priest would have known God's law inside out. He would have studied it in detail, and he would have been expected by his community to set an example and live out God's law. Yet this priest, in Jesus' story, didn't go to help a fellow Jew in distress. He didn't follow the command to love his neighbor as himself. He passed by on the other side of the road. He literally crossed over the road to avoid him. Why didn't he stop to help? Perhaps he really thought the man was dead. In Numbers 19, verse 11 in the Old Testament, it says, whoever touches the body of anybody who's dead will be unclean for seven days. And if that priest had needed to perform any rituals in the temple within the next seven days, touching a dead body would have prevented him from being able to do his work. So maybe he just thought, I better not risk it. He looks dead and he kept away. Or maybe he was afraid for his own safety because it was a well-known technique that bands of robbers would get one of their group to lie on the road as if they were injured. Then when somebody stopped, everyone else would come out and attack the person who'd stopped. So maybe he was afraid for his own safety. He didn't want to get involved. Or maybe he simply didn't care. Maybe, because this was an isolated place, he knew nobody would be watching. And he thought to himself, I don't want to get involved with this. And he was actually being a hypocrite because he was only interested in doing what was right when people were watching him. But all was not lost because along comes the next character, a Levite. Levites assisted the priests with the temple duties and they too were well aware of the requirements of God's law. Yet this man also saw the body of the Jew and he just did exactly the same thing. He crossed over onto the other side of the road, looked away as if he hadn't seen. The final hero of the story is the one we call the Good Samaritan, but Jesus just referred to him as a Samaritan man. 
And he goes out of his way to save this Jewish stranger. He personally tends to the man's wounds. He does a a bit of first century first aid. So you've got to imagine for a minute that this is my donkey's saddlebag. Anyone traveling any distance would carry supplies with them, wouldn't they? Bit of extra virgin olive oil. Oil and wine were the two main ingredients in a meal in those days. It's not bad, is it? We're all going a bit Mediterranean. (laughs) But actually, wine is a pretty good antiseptic, and oil is soothing. So he uses the resources he's got. And then... I don't suppose at all that he was traveling with bandages. What do you think? He's not likely to have bandages, is he? So he must have got out some of his own clothes and ripped them up to make bandages. Those do make quite good bandages, actually. This is my first century tunic. (laughs) He used what he had to immediately tend to the man's wounds. He rolled up his sleeves, he got his hands dirty. And then he must have used more of his own clothes to dress the man who was naked and put him on his own donkey before taking him to the nearest inn to find him a bed. The Samaritan did an extraordinary thing. He cared for this Jewish stranger as if he was one of his own family. And he was generous. Two denarii was the equivalent of um, two days' wages. So what would an average daily wage be? 80 quid. So he forks out 160 pounds and he says, I'll come back and I'll pay any extra that's needed. And he's generous to this complete stranger to provide for his needs. The shock of this story to Jesus' first hearers would be lost on us us if we didn't understand the relationship between Jews and Samaritans in Jesus' day because they really hated each other. And so there is a huge shock in this story. The prejudice that existed between Jews and Samaritans had gone back centuries. It had gone back 800 years, in fact, to when Assyria invaded the ten northern tribes of Israel and they settled Assyrians in the area of Samaria alongside some remaining Jews. In time, they intermarried and the Jews outside Samaria came to view the Jews inside Samaria as half-Jews, semi-pagan and inferior to them. From the point of view of the Samaritans, they, having been treated with disdain, went their own path, built their own place of worship, and decided that they didn't need to go up to Jerusalem anymore to worship at the temple there. And so they developed their own religious practices. So this animosity between Jews and Samaritans is crucial to understanding the point that Jesus is trying to make. He is trying to jolt his hearers and us to think about how we view other people, whether we make assumptions, wrong assumptions, about 
who they are and what they stand for. The lawyer that was questioning Jesus was trying to test him, trying to catch him out. But do you notice the way that Jesus just comes back to him with with a question? So he asks Jesus a question, and and Jesus just says to him, Oh, well, you've asked me, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Now, you're the expert in the law. You tell me what you think. (laughs) He turns it back on him, doesn't he? And the lawyer answers by quoting from Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. Very famous words to any practicing Jew. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These were words that devout Jewish people recited every day, part of their shema, their creed. And then he added to it Leviticus 19, verse 18, love your neighbor as yourself. In his answer, he went absolutely to the heart of the Jewish law. So Jesus says, well done, old chap. That's right. Do this and you'll live. However, the lawyer must have realized how difficult it would be to really love your neighbor. And he wants to justify himself. He wants to minimize what it really means to love your neighbor. He wants to try and reduce this idea of our neighbor down to something he can cope with. In fact, strict Pharisees used to take this uh, injunction in Scripture to love your neighbor as yourself as tantamount to saying, love fellow Jews, but hate everybody else. So this had already been warped and distorted. And that's why Jesus addressed that in another place and said, love your enemies. So who is my neighbor? The strict Jewish religious leaders would have seen only fellow Jews as their neighbor. And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan to blow away any limited concept his hearers may have had of who their neighbor was, to show them God's heart for all people. And it was a big challenge. It still is a big challenge to us today. So what are the lessons of the heart that Jesus wanted to teach that lawyer and also wants to teach us? I think we can tease out the lessons that Jesus wants to teach us by asking ourselves a couple of questions. And the first question is what I would call the hidden question in this story. And it's this, who will I allow to help me? Who will you allow to help you? The Samaritan would normally have been thought of as the bad guy by the people who were listening to Jesus first telling this story. But he turns out to be good. So maybe sometimes the people I think of as bad guys are not. The question is, do I judge others? Am I prejudiced? Is there anyone I wouldn't be willing to receive help from? Perhaps we can all think of people that we don't feel very positive towards. Maybe that we would prefer to avoid. Jesus challenges those attitudes. He wants to change us. He doesn't want to leave us as we are. The Jewish man who lay naked on the roadside allowed a Samaritan to help him. And then the other more obvious question in this story is, who am I willing to help? Are there people 
who I cross over the road to avoid when I see them in need? Have I ever behaved like the religious guys in this story, the priest and the Levite? What if religion sometimes takes the place of God in our lives and we justify ourselves on the basis of our religion, thinking, oh, well, I'm all right because of my religion? Whereas all the time our hearts might not be fully open to God, who is love, to be changed by him. Because my neighbor turns out to be not only one of my family, my friend, a fellow Christian, but actually anyone in need, anyone in distress. That's my neighbor. That's people of any race, any religion, any lifestyle. In serving those in need, actually I'm serving God. In loving those in need, I'm loving God. Mercy was central to the Old Testament teaching. And the expert in the law would have known that theoretically. The prophet Hosea, God spoke through the prophet Hosea in Hosea 6 saying, listen to this and learn what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So God was saying through the prophet Hosea, all your religious rituals are not really the point. They're meant to lead you to me and to my heart of compassion. And kind actions show that we have allowed God, the God of compassion, right into our hearts. Also, the prophet Micah said, this is what the Lord requires of you, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Mercy, the word hesed in the Old Testament, is a very rich word, And in English, we translate it into several different things, which include pity and forgiveness and sympathy. Mercy in the dictionary is forgiveness when punishment ought to have been deserved. I just found that interesting that that's how our dictionary defines mercy. Punishment was expected, but forgiveness was given. We've all received mercy from God, haven't we? We have received incredible mercy from God. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's really where we begin in this journey of being merciful as God is merciful. We need to be changed. We need to be changed by his Holy Spirit. So the Old Testament demonstrated the mercy of God, but it was Jesus who was the embodiment of it. And it's Jesus who enables us to live a life of mercy. It was people's reaction to Jesus that showed whether or not they were really open in their hearts to God. And Jesus was always getting into terrible trouble with the religious leaders of his day. He enraged them, he offended them, because he was always mixing with so-called sinners. He was there for the sick and the needy. Yet the parable of the Good Samaritan, as with so much of Jesus' teaching, shows us that we are all prone to judge others and we all need the mercy of God before we can be givers of the mercy of God. We're not left without help. The great thing is, 
that Jesus performed the greatest act of mercy and sacrifice on the cross on our behalf. When he poured out his life for us, he took the punishment for our sin, our selfishness, and our lack of mercy. He took that upon himself so that through faith in him, we might have true life. We might receive eternal life. We might live a life of mercy and obedience to him. And you see, God pours his Holy Spirit into us to enable us to live like this. It does not come naturally. In our flesh, we are weak. But through the Spirit, we can love as Jesus loved. Paul expresses it beautifully in Romans 5, verse 5, when he says, God has poured his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. That's what we need. That's what I need. I will not naturally love as Jesus loved, but I can ask the Holy Spirit to fill me and change me. And then I can be obedient to reach out and pray that God will give me the resources that I need. What will it mean? What does it mean to live a life of mercy? Well, there's no catch to this. In fact, there are huge rewards. As it says in Acts uh, chapter 20, verse 35, it's better to give than it is to receive. There are rewards to serving others. But there is a cost. Think of the cost of the Good Samaritan in this story. Firstly, he took a risk. He went over to the man, lying, looking half dead. And that could have made him vulnerable to attack himself. But he took that risk. He went over to help. He was driven by compassion rather than held back by fear. And then there was the inconvenience of interrupting his journey. Does anyone here like being interrupted when they're on a journey? <laughs> you're, you're, what you're thinking about is where you're going to get to, right? And you don't want to be interrupted. I mean, I'm, I can be quite rude here at confession time. I can be quite rude if people interrupt me when I'm trying to reach a particular goal. <laughs> and if anyone's seen me walking up the road, I always walk very quickly. <laughs> I'm going to get there. He was willing to be interrupted. He was willing to take time out of his journey to help this Jewish stranger. So there was inconvenience And there was an acceptance of letting go his own rush, his own goal to get to where he was going to as soon as possible. And then he accepted the unpleasantness of the task that needed to be done. He rolled up his sleeves and he gave some first aid. He got involved. We live in what can be a very, very impersonal city, don't we? And I have on more than one occasion seen someone in distress and everybody just walks past. And I think, what have we become like? I know there's a lot of us in London and I know we're always all in a rush, but actually we've become hardened. And this this Samaritan, he allowed his heart to be soft. And he was willing to do something dirty, you know, clean someone's wounds. He was willing to take on an unpleasant task. And then he was generous. I mean, he let go of some of his money, didn't he? He freely gave his money for the man's care. 
And, you know, when we live a life of mercy, it is going to cost us some money. I hate to tell you that, but it is true. (laughs) It's going to cost us money. We're going to have to let go of some of our possessions and some of our money for the benefit of others in need. But perhaps the most profound thing that the Samaritan did was he stepped across a deeply ingrained social, racial, and religious divide. And he was more concerned to do what was right than to worry about potentially offending his Samaritan family who might later hear about it. He was willing, if necessary, to offend people from his own group to help someone from another group. He wanted to do what was right. How do we respond to a challenge like this? Well, and, and how do we respond in a world that is so full of need? Because that's the other thing, isn't it? It's not just the needs we see all around us, but it's also the needs in the world. And it's like we live in a global village, so we hear news every day of great tragedy, of enormous scale. And we can feel overwhelmed. We can feel, actually, I'm not in a position to really do anything to help. And even the person we walk past on the street who's homeless, we may well feel that we don't have the personal resources to help them. So where do we start? Well, I'd like to suggest to you that we start with our hearts. And we start by allowing God's Spirit just to search our hearts and show us if we are prejudiced towards anybody. Because Jesus does that, doesn't he? He starts with the heart. He says, what's in your heart? And then we need to ask God for forgiveness if we carry prejudice, if we carry resistance to helping particular types of people. And we need to ask him, as we seek his forgiveness and his mercy, we need to ask him to fill us with his Holy Spirit of love and power so that we can reach out with his love to others. You see, a sense of duty can overwhelm us and paralyze us into inactivity, or it can make us frenetic and burn us out, but we become bitter because we're driving ourselves in our own strength. God-given gifts of mercy are actually a joy, and that's what scripture means when it says it's better to give than receive. If we give with, it, with God working through us, with his mercy working through us, And God has gone ahead of us. Uh, I love it where it says in Ephesians that God has prepared good works in advance for us to walk in. In other words, he's thought it all through. He knows exactly how he's made you. And he's prepared works of mercy that you can do, nobody else can do. You have the particular people around you, the particular opportunities in your life. And he's prepared things for you to do. So you just want to be open to the things he's put right in front of you to do to glorify him. Now, when Paul wrote this to the church in Ephesus, he made it quite clear that we're not actually saved by our good works. We're not trying to earn brownie points with God here. It says we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus, and this is not from ourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But then it says, but we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Each of us is made uniquely. And if you like, our acts of mercy are us really being who God made us to be. They're us flourishing, not us being oppressed. But we work 
to relieve the oppression of others. And that is our God-given purpose. We're called to run the race that God has marked out for us, not someone else's race. And this will mean different things for different people. It may well mean saying no to some things so that we have the energy to do other things. But also, as God's people, we are called to work together. And our Jericho Row Project is a great example of that because many people come with their different gifts of mercy and they serve together to see this local area impacted for good. And at this point, I would like to ask Dave Barlow just to come up and give us a few words. Um, Dave works, he's our administrator for our Jericho Row Project. And I really want to ask you, Dave... You tell, could, you, could you tell us what motivates you to serve homeless and vulnerable people in the Jericho Road Project? Okay. Hi. Um, I came to King's in 2001, and um, I was a, uh, a bachelor-hiding Christian, and I'd then been a Christian for about 20 years. And um, I met Simon Allen. At this period of my life, I had a serious alcohol problem. And to be, cut the story short, really, um, I came to King's and I became a member, but I was still drinking, and... So the project allowed me time to find myself, to um, be secure. Uh, Kings um, helped me find uh, Christ again. And going onwards from there, I, I um, found out who I was in Christ, which made me stronger. And uh, obviously, I don't drink anymore. I haven't drunk for seven years. Um, so, yeah, it's been... Um, It gives me time to look back over my life and, um, to, and to see where God has been gracious to me and Jesus has been faithful. And so to just give a, a hand of friendship and to help people along the way, either out of their addiction or any other problems that they have, and then to, to see them find Christ is a privilege. And I've been able to talk to people either here and also abroad about addiction to alcohol. There's a gift of mercy in that man given to him by the God of mercy. (laughs) But there's a gift of mercy in all of us, you know, and we need to discover what that good thing is. And again, it could be different things at different times of our lives. We can't do everything, but we can do something. And, uh, you know, people are drawn to Jesus when they see the mercy and the love of God in action amongst God's people. We've seen that again and again. That was there in Dave's story. People are drawn to Jesus because this is the gospel in action. This is kingdom living. This is what it means to be a son or a daughter of the king, to become more like him. And it is amazing to see how a kind act can open the door for the gospel. It's like it builds a bridge of trust over which then the message about Jesus can travel and travel effectively. You know, when you get involved in in helping the poor, you you are likely to be criticized, don't you? We talked about the potential offense that the Samaritan may have caused in his actions. Many of you will have heard of Mother Teresa, who worked for decades caring for the dying homeless poor of Calcutta slums. And she was, from time to time, criticized by people who said, oh, what you're doing is just a drop in the ocean. 
And she said this, we know only too well that what we're doing is just a drop in the ocean. But if the drop were not there, the ocean would be missing something. Somewhere in the ocean of the world's needs, there is mercy for you to give. And the ocean of the world's needs will be missing something if you don't step out and share that mercy. I think Mother Teresa understood that when you show mercy towards people in distress, what you are doing is actually greater than the immediate alleviation that you bring to that person. What you're doing is bringing glory to Jesus, but also what you're doing is serving Jesus. So you're making Jesus visible through your actions, but you are actually serving him. And in another interview, uh, Mother Teresa was asked if her work depressed her. And she said, no, because every day I'm touching Jesus. She knew that when she was touching the bodies of those who were near to the end of their days and just needed physical care, she was actually touching Jesus. Like Mother Teresa, some of us may be called to give up our own comfort and security to help those in extreme suffering and poverty or to support financially those who do that. But for others of us, the things God has for us to do may seem less dramatic, but they're no less valuable to him. Love is important wherever it's shown, whoever it's shown to. Some are called to care for a sick or elderly relative, others to raise a child, others to support an adult with learning difficulties. Some in this room I know show special kindness to people at work who are victimized by others or to the person at school who's always left out. And as we've already mentioned, many in this community, many of you sitting here, have helped in our Jericho Road project. But this is not so much about specific projects. It's actually about a lifestyle of generosity, love, and mercy. And it's about remembering and drawing on the mercy that we've received ourselves in Christ. Never forgetting, but always rejoicing in the love and the forgiveness and the mercy of Christ for us. The question is, what's on your heart to do? Because if you let God have your heart, then he will put something in your heart, and you can just follow him and be obedient to that. When Jesus had finished the story of the Good Samaritan, he asked the lawyer who'd questioned him, which of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? That Jewish scribe couldn't even bring himself to say it was the Samaritan. He, something in him was resisting even using the word Samaritan. He said, the one who had mercy on him. Then Jesus' command to him and to us was this. Go and do the same. Go and do the same. Well, I'd love us to finish there by just bowing our heads for a word of prayer because this is all about God's interaction with our hearts and you know in some ways you could liken us as individuals if you look at that story of Jesus you could liken us to the beaten up Jew on the side of the road we've been broken 
We've, been, we've needed rescuing from death. We've needed forgiveness and kindness and mercy from God. When we were still sinners, when we were still far away, Christ died for us. So let's begin by thanking God for his mercy and sacrifice for us. And then asking his spirit to search our hearts, to forgive us any prejudice that we carry, and to fill us with his spirit of love and power for others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you have given yourself for us. You've shown us sacrificial love. You've shown us such mercy, Lord. How great your love is for us. And Lord, we want to, we want to just first of all say, would, would you fill us again? With such thankfulness in our spirits, Lord, for this wonderful mercy and love that gives us eternal life, this forgiveness, this sacrifice that sets us free from sin and death. And we ask, Spirit of God, that you would search our hearts because we know that you know us better than we know ourselves. We ask, Lord, that you'd show us if we harbor prejudice towards any person. And Lord, we pray that you would forgive us. You would forgive us our prejudice, Lord. And you would give us your heart within us, Lord, a heart of mercy for all people, a heart that's willing to take the risk to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus, we ask, would you come and fill us with your Holy Spirit tonight? Fill us with your spirit of love and power. That again and again, we might reach out in mercy to others. And so rivers of mercy would flow out from this community. Rivers of mercy would run over the dry ground of people's hearts. Rivers of mercy would make way for the gospel of grace in life after life after life. Lord, I want to thank you for everyone who serves others in love in this community, who's already putting out little rivulets of mercy all, all around this community, where there's harshness, where there's been degradation, where there's been pain and poverty and relational breakdown. Rivers of mercy. Lord, let your mercy flow through us yet more freely, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus.